Praise the Lord. Amen. Good to see everyone here this evening. God bless each and every one of you. We have an awesome opportunity this evening to enter into God's presence, to receive of Him everything that He has in store for us. Amen. Like any good father, He desires to give good gifts to His children. He loves us so very much. And He's demonstrated that love to us. He certainly does each and every day, at least in my life. But He hung on a cross in my place. He purchased my salvation. He purchased me back from the enemy. Amen. I will forever, I will eternally be grateful for my Savior, my Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand. Once again, we are gathered in His presence to receive of Him and to give back to Him, to demonstrate to Him the love that we have for Him, our thanks, our thanksgiving for all that He's done for us. Amen. Let's lift our hearts, our voices, our hands, and let's call out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord Jesus, we dedicate this service to You. We are here in Your presence to receive of You. From this point forward, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that You would assume control, that You would be Lord and God in this place and in this service this evening. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We delight ourselves in the God of our salvation today. Hallelujah. We are so very thankful for You, for all that You've done, for who You are. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. There is no one like You, O God, not in all the earth. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that each need would be met in this place this evening. I pray, Lord, above all else, that Your name would be glorified in our midst here today. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated this evening. Well, uh, my family and I are back. Hi. Um, <laughs> we got our son graduated. Finally. Amen. <laughs> I know he's, he's probably as happy as I am. He's quite a bit more happy. <laughs> Starting his next chapter in life. Amen. And he's excited about it like any 18-year-old young man would be. Amen. Praise God. I want to thank uh, Brother DeMuth uh, for preaching, teaching last Sunday. Amen. I did have an opportunity to listen to them, uh, although I didn't, uh, I didn't get to that second one in time to correct you, Brother uh, DeMuth, so I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, nothing to correct. Uh, but I did speak with him a little bit before service, and he is going to continue that, uh, that Bible study. He's going to teach that Bible study to us. Amen. So that will be good. I'm looking forward to that. I appreciate, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I are still relatively new here, and and I felt that it was it was good and, and necessary to kind of hog the pulpit for a little bit, if I can say it that way, uh, to just kind of get comfortable, let you guys get comfortable with me and know how I stand on things and, and the sound of my voice and stuff like that. But I think we're good now, uh, so I feel like I can open this up just a little bit. So, uh, amen. And it's good. It's good to hear other voices. It's good to hear uh, different sides of things because, well, quite frankly, I want to hear some preaching too. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. I like good preaching. Praise God. We have been going through uh, a doctrinal series, and uh, on Sunday morning particularly, we've been talking about uh, the doctrine of God. Uh, trying to explore the various aspects of God uh, in maybe a little bit deeper 
kind of way. One of the things that we're looking at right now is the oneness of God. And we've been, we've been talking about that for a few weeks. Uh, hopefully, in Jesus' name, uh, we'll complete that by the end of the year. And, uh, but tonight, I want to talk about the oneness of man. Amen. So we're going to look at Psalm 133 this evening. Psalm 133. We're going to read the whole chapter. All of it. Psalm 133. says this, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Amen. Now there's a story. I like stories. I was trying to find one that would go with this. And... Uh, <laughs> Found one. <clears throat> There's a story about an old farmer, and very old farmer. He had four sons. Some of you may have heard this. It seems to be all over the place. I'd never heard it before. So, enjoy. <clears throat> this story goes, this elder, this, uh, this old retired farmer had four sons. And he was very old. He was very weak, uh, a little bit sickly. He was getting ready to pass. And he was worried because his four sons were very headstrong and very contentious, and they would argue constantly with one another. And so, wanting to instill in them the value of working together, he had the oldest son go and grab a bunch of sticks, get them all tied together, and wanted them, one by one, whoever can break this bundle of sticks, you're going to get the, you're going to get the biggest part of the inheritance. So starting with the eldest down to the youngest, they each tried. Of course, they couldn't do it. As strong as they were, they just couldn't break the bundle of sticks. And then the old farmer untied the bundle, one by one, he broke the sticks. <clears throat> and he told the sons, this is the value of unity. This is the value of sticking and working together. By yourselves, you're weak. And you can be easily broken. But together, nothing can break you. In Ezra chapter 3 and verse 1, we read this. And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. What do they mean, gathered together as one man? I would submit two different things. Obviously, they were gathered physically together in one place. Psalm 133.1 How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. But it means more than just that. They were gathered together physically in one place, but they also were moving in the same direction. They had the same goals, the same purpose. They were one in spirit. There's a difference between unity and union. Union is a external, artificial uh, bond that binds together two dissimilar elements. Unity, on the other hand, is an external manifestation of the inner working of the Holy Ghost. 
Now, how does that how does that look in real life? I can have a contract with someone. We're in union. But that doesn't necessarily mean that this individual and I are working together toward the same goal. We could be fighting. We could be at odds with one another and still have this contract. You could be in a marriage. Got a marriage certificate. But not be unified. Not have the same spirit. Not walking together. So there's a difference. We're not talking about a union. We're not talking about a contract. We're talking about being in unity. Unity is a divine characteristic. It's an aspect of deity. We see unity within the Godhead. We've been talking about Colossians 2.9. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There is no disunity in God. He's one. He's whole. He's complete. He's unified. It's God's desire for His kingdom to be one. For His church to be one. He laid this principle down in Matthew chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. He was answering the Pharisees. It says this, But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Jesus is demonstrating to us here the importance of unity. If we are disunified, we cannot stand. We see unity, we see perfect harmony within the books of the Bible. It's interesting, it's always been interesting to me when you stop to consider how many different authors how many different writers there were over how long a time period and how many continents these writers spanned, how many cultures, civilizations. And yet there are no contradictions. Everything messes together perfectly. You get two people in a room together and you talk about anything. And there's going to be differences. Everyone has different opinions, different ideas, different interpretations of the facts. We have different backgrounds, different personalities, different presuppositions that lead to different conclusions about things. But not so with the Bible. Not so with anything that God is involved with. God desires oneness. Because there is no disunity in God, everything He says and does is consistent. It's consistent with Himself, with His character, and it's consistent with His creation. There is no variableness nor shadow of turning with God. None. He is altogether consistent. The whole plan of salvation demonstrates this. His absolute consistency with His own nature, His own character. We know that God loves us. We know that God wants to show mercy to us. But at the same time, we understand that He is a righteous and a holy God. How can these two mesh together? If I sin... His righteousness demands payment. It demands judgment for sin. But His mercy wants to forgive. His love wants me to be restored to Himself. So to remain consistent with His character, 
He paid the price Himself. He hung on a cross in our place. He demonstrates consistently (laughs) consistency. God's creation is unified. Even though it's been cursed by sin, its, its component parts operate as a consistent whole. This is what science is based on. The idea that His creation operates consistently. If gravity works at the same strength today, it probably worked at the same strength a thousand years ago. It probably operates with the same strength in the Andromeda galaxy. And so we can assume with some reasonable degree of assurity that it's going to do the same thing tomorrow. Now, if it was variable, if it fell up today and down tomorrow and east on Thursdays, how can we form any kind of laws or or predictions or hypotheses based on that? We can't. Science is based on the the whole idea that God's creation is consistent. It's interrelated. It's interdependent. You change one thing about reality, everything is affected. If if you've read anything about uh, fundamental constants, the constants of the universe, the speed of light, the, uh, the, the mass of a proton, those kinds of things, if you fiddle with those to the nth degree, Things fall apart really fast. The fine-tuning of the universe to say that we're balanced on a razor's edge doesn't do it justice. The fine-tuning of the... It's fine-tuned to like 1 to the 10th of negative 55 power or something like that. I mean, it's just insane how fine-tuned the universe is. And if you change one aspect of it, the whole thing begins to unravel. Everything is interrelated, interdependent. But it all works. As fine-tuned as it is, God's creation is very robust. It's amazing. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The whole creation is together together groaning and travailing at this point, but it's together. Its laws and characteristics reflecting those of its Creator are consistent and unified. Natural laws complement and work with every other natural law. Every time we we find a new discovery, uh, we go from classical Newtonian physics to Einsteinian physics to quantum physics. And all of that doesn't matter. It just means that as... As research and as discoveries progress, the only thing that we find consistent is the consistency of creation. When we think we've got the fundamental particle, we've got the lowest, the basis of creation, of reality, we discover there's another level. There's another layer. It's absolutely fascinating to me. And I think God did it on purpose. I think he did. So that we'll never find it for sure. <clears throat> God's body is unified. The body has many disparate parts, but they all work together in perfect unison toward the same goal. The preservation of the body. If you've looked at biology, if you've looked at human anatomy, uh, the different systems within the human body, the endocrine system, the, the uh, immune system, this system, that system, the, the, the cardiovascular, the muscular, all of that. They are all interdependent. They're all interrelated. That's why when you take medication, it's got three pages of side effects to it. That's why that is. Because you start messing artificially with one aspect of the body, it starts messing around with other aspects of the body. That's just how this is. That's how the body is designed. It's how it works. Everything is interrelated. It's interdependent. It's one. 
everything in my body is working toward the same goal. The preservation of the body. Now, when we get something like cancer or disease or some kind of sickness or illness, now there are parts of my body that are operating at odds with everything else. Now, my body is experiencing disunity. It's experiencing division. And what happens then? Now, I potentially have a life-threatening situation, don't I? When, my, when parts of my body are working at odds, I've heard uh, cancer patients, and I've, I've read things from cancer patients, and they, they feel like their body has betrayed them. They feel like they're being betrayed by their own body. Their body is fighting against them now. I think that's spot on. I think they're absolutely right. Romans 12, verses 4 through 6 kind of talks about this, not in the physical so much as in the spiritual. Romans 12, 4 through 6 states, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, according to the proportion of faith. And it continues on with that. But... We are different people. We have different passions. We have different talents. We have different backgrounds, personalities. But God brings us all together into one body. And He fitly frames His body together. He places us in His body according to His will. Some of us are a heart. Some of us are a brain. Some of us are a thumbnail. Some of us are whatever. But they're all important. In fact, the Bible says that those members that are not seen are the more important, worthy of more honor. My lungs. I can, I kind of have done without my fingers. You see how short they are. If I lost one, I, I probably, I don't know if I'd miss some of these. I would. But, I can live. I can live just fine without my pinky finger. I'd miss it. I'd <laughs> kind of attached to the guy. <laughs> uh, forgive me. It's low-hanging fruit. Anyway, so, but if I lost a lung, I'd feel that a little bit more. If I lost my liver or my heart or a kidney, that hurts quite a bit more than losing even, even my whole arm. I'd really miss my right arm, but I could live just fine without it. I don't need it to live. It's just really, really nice to have it. But these internal organs are vital. If I lose these, I die. I can't live without these. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. So again, many members, one body. Moving together toward the same goal. Ephesians 2, verses 11-16 through 16 says this, Wherefore remember, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This right here is why I'm so very thankful for Jesus Christ. This right here. I had no covenant 
I had no hope. I had no God. I was a Gentile. I was outside of the covenant promises of God. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. There is no more Jew or Gentile. There's no more bond or free. There's no black or white. There's none of that. We are all one in Jesus Christ. All of us. How awesome is that? The more I think about that, I can't. Every, uh, every time I think of the cross, I get <laughs> like this. And I don't apologize for it. I am so grateful. I am so thankful for what Jesus did for me. I know who I was. I know the life that I lived. I know everything most everything that was going on in here. I knew my thoughts. I knew my attitudes. And Jesus loved me anyway. He died on a cross in my place for the chance that I would say yes to Him. He died for everybody, but not everyone tells Him yes. He died for some people in vain. If I can say it that way. Because they're never going to... They're never gonna uh, accept His sacrifice. They're going to continue to walk in their own ways. I am so thankful for Jesus. I am so thankful that He's baptized me into His family. That He's given me His name in water baptism. He's given me the earnest of my inheritance. The gift of the Holy Ghost. And one day I'm going to live forever with Him. And because of that, because of that, it just doesn't really matter what happens to me down here. Yeah, it matters. I want to be, I want a good life as much as the next guy. Okay? Don't get me wrong. But when I'm sitting in glory, when I'm sitting in the presence, the physical presence of the one who died for me, when I'm sitting in his presence and I'm hearing his voice physically and I'm looking on his face, None of that's going to matter. The good times aren't going to matter. They're going to be forgotten too in His presence. That's going to be so much better than anything, any good thing that can happen down here. And it will certainly wash away any bad thing that ever happened down here. We don't enjoy bad times. We don't enjoy tests, trials, circumstance, situation. But we understand that if we keep moving forward, if we stay faithful, Unto the end. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. We need to stay unified with Jesus Christ. We need to stay unified with the body of Christ. The opposite of unity is division. Division is not God. Division is not from God. 1 Corinthians 3 and 3 says, For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Division is opposed to everything that's godly. Division is contrary to the will of God. It's even contrary to the very character of God. There is no division in God. We are to reflect His character. We are to reflect accurately 
Jesus Christ to this world. We are to demonstrate Him to this world. It's easy enough to talk about Him. Doing that right here. It's quite a bit another thing, though, to demonstrate the character of Jesus Christ, especially in a tough situation. When there's no money in the bank account. When my wife doesn't look at me the same way she did on our wedding day. Every time I leave dirty clothes, or forget to put dishes away. Little, minor things. They shouldn't matter at all. <laughs> but I guess they do. <clears throat> Division is contrary to the will of God. We need to be unified. We can be unified and still contrary to God's plans. We all know the account in Genesis, chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. The Bible says this, And the whole earth was of one language, and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Sinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth, which was, by the way, the commandment of God. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. He told Noah and his sons, they're saying, we don't want to do that. We want to stay right here. Verse 5, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. They are in direct opposition to the plan of God. They are in absolute open rebellion to the plan of God. And the testimony of God is this. Nothing will be restrained from them because the people are one. That's the power of oneness. That's the power of unity. Even in open rebellion, there's power in oneness. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. How did God fix the, the situation? He destroyed their oneness. He caused disunity. They were no longer one. And so now it's just an non-issue. They stopped building altogether. There's a power in unity that cannot be achieved any other way. When you destroy unity, you destroy that power. This is why the enemy so desperately desires to cause division and destroy our unity. And he'll find any and every avenue to do that. So our responsibility then is to not leave one. Don't leave an avenue of approach. When you hear about sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so saying this, that, and the other about you, rather than, yeah, that sounds like him. I knew he didn't like me. Rather than doing that, you give that person the benefit of the doubt. Nah, that's my brother. That's my sister. I don't think they do that. We protect one another. We stand by one another. We fight for one another. The enemy is depicted as a roaring lion. And we've all probably heard sermons on the roaring lion. Lions hunt their prey. They stalk. They don't attack strong, healthy animals. They don't attack packs that are together. They attack the strays. They attack the young. They attack the weak. Those that are off by themselves. 
That's what the enemy does to us. And that's why I am and will continue to be insistent on not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We need to be together. We can't do this on our own. We go off on our own, people die. This is war, folks. This is a war. And all that that entails. The enemy doesn't fight or play fair. He plays to win. Period. He doesn't care who he hurts. He doesn't care what the cost is or what the sacrifice is for him or you. He's got one goal. He's got one purpose in life, and that's to destroy your relationship with Jesus Christ. To bring you down to where He's going. That's it. He can't touch God. He hates God. But He can't do anything to God. But He can do something to the people that God loves. To you. To me. He can touch you. He can cause you misery. There's safety and strength in numbers. Stay connected to the body of Christ. Stay as close to Jesus Christ as you can. James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. There's more to this verse than just the oneness of God. It's not just the truth about the Godhead that causes the enemy to tremble. It's the fact that there is no division or disunity. There's unity in God. There's unity in God's body. Anything connected with God ought to be one. It ought to be unified. And because of that unity, there is a power and there's a strength that the enemy cannot overcome. He cannot. It causes him to tremble. We look at the Scripture text. Psalm 133. Being unified with my brothers and my sisters, I think is probably, probably as close as I'm going to get to a heaven on earth. I generally dislike that saying uh, because anything here on earth pollutes and, and distorts. And, and I mean, there's just... To say anything is heaven on earth really is. But you know what I mean when I say that. That's as close, I think, as we're going to get. It's good and it's pleasant to dwell together in unity. Unity brings God's anointing on our ministries and on our lives. It's like the precious ointment upon the head. It ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. This anointing, if you remember, was a priestly anointing. This anointing oil was forbidden to everybody except the priests. You don't produce it. You don't use it. This is for the priests. It conveyed power. It conveyed authority. It conveyed power to intercede. The right to enter into God's presence and minister to Him. In the Old Testament, the average Joe couldn't enter into the tabernacle. If I was not a Levite, I could bring the sacrifice to the altar. And that's where my journey ended. That was it for me. I had to watch from afar off. I couldn't enter into the Holy of Holies. I couldn't experience the presence of God like the priests did. I didn't get to go into the holy place, partake of the soul bread, smell the incense. I didn't get to serve. I didn't get to offer the sacrifice for sin to God. 
We read that the anointing runs down. Runs down from the head to the garments all the way down. The anointing in our lives is going to find the lowest places and it will pool there. Places of humility. Places of ministry. Places of sacrifice. Servitude. It doesn't flow up. You have pride in your life. If you're wanting to be exalted, if you're wanting to be lifted up, the anointing oil, it won't cover a whole lot. I'm sorry. Those that are in unity with the body of Christ, those that are in unity with Jesus Christ Himself, they're going to possess these traits already. Humility, servitude, sacrifice, ministry. We read in Psalm 133 that unity brings God's blessings upon His people. God pronounces His name upon us in covenant relationship. In the Old Testament, when the blessing was given, that was the priest pronouncing Yahweh upon the people. Pronouncing the name of the Lord upon the people. And that brought His presence. That reinstituted and reinforced the covenant relationship that He had with His people. We have authority and we have covenant to pronounce this blessing on others. We can bless each other in the name of the Lord. Grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We read that all through the New Testament. All through the epistles. The need for unity. Jesus prayed that His people would be unified. John 17, 20 and 21 says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on Me through their word, that they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in Us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me. We see also that Paul recognizes the importance of unity. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Ephesians 4.11-13 says, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We cannot, we will never be Christ-like, not truly, until, unless we first be unified. That's part of who He is. Ephesians 4, 1-3 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The way to attain and maintain unity is humility, gentleness, patience, love. These sound kind of like the fruit of the Spirit. They're really close. I'm just going to go ahead and call them the fruit of the Spirit. You give me that leeway? Okay. <laughs> How do we get the fruit of the Spirit? We have the Spirit of Christ in us. So we can't be one. Not like God wants us to be without His Spirit. The enemy of unity, the catalyst of division, is pride, arrogance. Some will call it assertiveness. Impatience. Anything that falls short of love. And if I may extrapolate this, we'll call this the works of the flesh. I'm not going to ask you how you get the works of the flesh. We're born with that. 
That comes natural. So we need to be one in Christ. We need to be one in the body of Christ. We also need to be one with ourselves, within our own being. There are different aspects of ourselves that are in conflict. Certainly, when we come to the Lord, certainly when we're born again, we receive the Spirit of God. Now we have a carnal and a physical, uh, a spiritual nature. We have the old man, the new. And they are in constant warfare, aren't they? We read about that in Romans 8. But even before we come to the Lord, we are not one. We still fight against ourselves. There are things we know we should do, but we don't. Things we know we shouldn't do, but we do. Romans 7.19 says, For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. And that's after salvation. We come into this world fragmented, disjointed, struggling, fighting against ourselves. Have you ever heard of an idea, an idea called self-sabotage? It's where people are afraid of success. Now, when I say it like that, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Why would anyone be afraid of success? Don't we all want to be a success? Don't we all want to succeed at something? Everybody says, yes, we do. I want to be a success. I want to make a lot of money. I want to have a higher position at XYZ Corporation. I want to be the best teacher that I can be, you know, whatever it is. But a lot of times, because of the contradictions that exist in here, that's what we say we want, and that's what we believe with all of our heart that we want. But then when success is in our grasp, we do something stupid. And we sabotage it. And then success is out of our grasp again. And we'll feign anger, frustration. But in our heart of hearts, we're thankful. Isn't that interesting? Read about it. It's, it's, it's out there. It's, it's no secret. A lot of people... Because there's contradictions in here. There's struggles. Some aspect of me wants this. Other aspects of me wants this. And I'm fighting myself. Because I can't have both. I can't go in two different directions. God has never intended for us to be like that. It was never God's intention for us to have those kinds of struggles. He created us perfectly. It's our own fault that we're like this. It's our own sin. It's our own rebellion against God that we are like this. Broken and fragmented. We contradict ourselves. We say one thing and we do another. We say one thing, but we mean another. We express a belief, but we really believe something else. A lot of times I'm glad that people don't actually believe what they express. But it's still there. God wants us whole. He wants us one. He doesn't want that struggle there. Now, we're always going to have the struggle between the old man and the new. Until we make it to heaven, that's always going to be there. But as far as our regenerated nature, there shouldn't be any struggle there. There shouldn't be any division within that. My new nature should want to do everything I can to please my Creator. My regenerated nature ought to desire to please Him in all that I do, all that I say, all that I think. Why? Because I love Him. I love Him because He first loved me. That's why. Not because I'm duty-bound. Not because it's the law. Because I want to. I want to please Him. 
I'm married to my wife. I do things for her, not because I got a marriage contract. I'm going to have that marriage contract whether I do those things for her or not. I do those things because I love her. I want to see her smile every once in a while. (laughs) I know, I know. The couch is very comfy. It's all right. I'll be fine. (laughs) But when we do things for Jesus Christ, it's not because it's a salvation issue necessarily. Everything doesn't have to be a salvation issue. Sometimes I just want to do things for Jesus because I want to please Him. I love Him. I want to please Him. I'm going to be saved whether I do that or not. But I love, I love Him. And I want to do everything I can to please Him. In conclusion, there's another story I found. Bated breath, right? <clears throat> this story is about a man and his son walking down a trail. And there's a tree in the middle of the, the path. It wasn't a very big tree, but to the five-year-old's son, it was huge. <clears throat> and uh, the father was like, well, What do you think, son? You think he can move that tree? Oh, I don't know, Dad. That's that's a really big tree. So I think you could do it if you give it all of your strength, all your might. Give it everything you got. So I said, like, okay. So he starts pushing. Little five-year-old body gets under there and pushes. Nothing. It's like, oh, Dad, I can't do it. You're wrong. I can't do it. I told you to give it everything you had. So it pushes again, pushes again. I can't budge it. I said, give it everything you had. So he tries one more time. Just everything he's got. Still nothing. Dad sits his son down. Son, I told you to use everything you had. You didn't ask for my help. And I want to end with this. When we're unified with Jesus Christ... Everything we have isn't going to be enough. It rarely is. But that's not all we have available to us. We have all of the resources of heaven at our disposal. So don't forget about that. When we are unified in the body of Christ, when we are His son, His daughter, when we are in covenant relationship with Him, we have His strength. We have His wisdom, His understanding. We have his, All of His resources are available to us. Amen. Don't hesitate to use all of your strength in time of need. Let's all stand. Thank you, Jesus, for your excellent loving kindness.